This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. A government bill in India has sparked violence that's left 46 people dead and hundreds injured. This story is an international one, but it's also an interesting examination of history, how interferences can change the narrative that surrounds relations within a country. Generally speaking, it's the result of tension between Hindus and Muslims. But how far back in history can we go to explain this latest wave of mob-driven bloodshed? This is the sound of mob violence in India. Violence sparked by protests against a controversial citizenship law. The death toll in India's capital from riots last week between Hindus and Muslims has risen to 46. In the worst violence in decades, the city has been rocked by days of clashes between Hindus and Muslims. And the spark to all of this is a controversial citizenship law, which grants amnesty to illegal non-Muslim immigrants from some Muslim-majority countries. And that led to mass demonstrations with people saying it discriminates against Muslim immigrants. But things turned violent when a politician from the ruling party warned authorities they had three days to stop the protesters or his supporters would. Soon rival mobs clashed in riots that spread across the northeast of Delhi. Victims from both communities ended up side by side in the local morgue. The citizenship law at the center of this violence is the CAA. That's the Citizenship Amendment Act. And basically, it's a bill that allows access to Indian citizenship to illegal migrants of nearly every religious group, except for Muslims. My name's Anne Murphy, and I'm an associate professor in the Department of Asian Studies at the University of British Columbia, and I'm also director of the Center for India and South Asia Research, which is part of the Institute for Asian Research in the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs. So the CAA was passed in December of 2019. It immediately inspired protests across the country. So I'd like to focus on that first, that these are protests, peaceful protests. Uh, people engaged in at universities, in public, across the country in India, but then they were met with repression and violence. So the violence has been really enacted by the state in its suppression of peaceful protests. And that's, of course, just brought about more and more protests. Now people are not only protesting the act itself, but they're protesting the ways in which the state has responded to those protests. So what is it about this bill that has stirred up so much anger? So the CAA declares that otherwise would-be illegal migrants from um, nearby countries, which are Muslim-majority countries, that religious minorities from those countries can get an expedited path to citizenship in India. So that excludes Muslim religious minorities and persecuted minorities. So this is clearly distinguishing in the law between differentiated paths to citizenship based on religious identity. That has inspired massive protests across the country because India is a secular state, in theory at least, at least in its inspiration and in its um, articulation and its founding. And so defining citizenship differentially according to religious background is fundamentally against the principles that India was founded upon. So that's why there's so much concern. That's why people are on the streets, because what's happening today is unprecedented in its assault on the secular nature of the Indian state and on and it's a directly an assault on Muslims. 
fear. As tensions remain high in Delhi, the national capital, a battleground. Violent clashes between Hindus and Muslims have rocked the city for days. Entire neighborhoods ripped apart as mobs roam the streets. The riots have been centered in the northeast of the city, in largely Muslim neighborhoods. So why are Muslims being targeted? Dr. Ann Murphy said it's more complicated than simply saying, well, there's always been tensions between Hindus and Muslims in India to explain these recent events. Yeah, and that's very commonly done, and there's a lot of um, use of history today to try and explain the situation like, oh, this is how it's always been. And I'm a historian, and this is what I do for a living, and I must say with emphatically that that's just not the case. This is not the story that has to be there. It's always the case that when we see conflicts, we can think, oh, this is how it is, you know, just a natural progression from an underlying issue. But we always have to stop ourselves and actually be more critical. So if we look critically back at the history of Hindu-Muslim relationships and also relations among all the different, many different religious communities within India, it is not the case that it has been a story of conflict. It is the case that there have been occasional conflicts, but those conflicts have not characterized the Hindu-Muslim relationship overall. One thing we do know is that there were particular ways in which the British governed India. If we look back to colonial history, we do see an exacerbation and an intensification of the idea that there are two very separate and communities that were in conflict. And this served, obviously, British colonial interests. They were invested in um, their own position as the rulers of India. They justified their position uh, in that role as governing above the fray, and they positioned themselves this way. So they, part of the argument was that Indians are internally so divided that we have a role to play in governance. And so you can see, actually, over the course of colonial history, how conflicts that would emerge that weren't necessarily about religion at all came to be seen as religious conflicts. And so this narrative was constructed in the 19th century that you have these two kind of two separate communities that were, have always been in conflict. But if we look back to the Mughal period, so pre-British rule, we see that there were complex negotiations that took place among religious communities and an incredible cultural synthesis that occurred during the Mughal period where Sufis, for example, became very interested in yoga. There was so much happening, exchange um, between Muslims and others and others and Muslims and others and each other, so a kind of dynamic pluralism. But when the British came, they came with European experience. So partially there was this effort to justify their rule, but they also came from the European context where there had been so much conflict over religious identity. There had been the religious wars, Catholic and Protestants that had defined the European experience. So when they came to South Asia, I think it just was almost unimaginable to them that such diversity of religions could coexist without there being a kind of fundamental conflict. And really... That is, as a historian, we must have to say that this is where we must look to understand how we got where we are today. British rule ended, but the logic of British rule did not end. And many of the ways in which communities were imagined persist into the present and have now become really politically useful to a group of people who want to seize power and keep it. So Modi's law was inspired by a narrative that was created during British colonization, rather than by the much longer standing history of the country. 
Exactly. It really goes against everything in, in a fundamental way that has been India. And that's what I think so many Indians really are mourning. And that's why there's so much protest. So that India is still there. People do not want to lose it. The India where there is and can be peace and diversity and appreciation and pluralism. It's essential that we help it to survive, that we all recognize what's happening. We have we see a fundamental change happening, um, and that's why people are on the streets, and we must recognize that something fundamental is happening. Dr. Murphy, thank you so much. Thanks for calling and thanks for covering this. It's so important because um, I love India. It's a part of my life and my family. And that India cannot be lost, which shows us this pluralist and dynamic and vibrant way of we can live together. Uh, and it cannot be lost to us, to the world. India is now turning its focus on who is politically responsible for the outbreak in violence. The riots that have left 46 dead, over 200 injured. The opposition had one target today, Home Minister Amit Shah. MP after MP of the opposition demanded his resignation and forced the adjournment of the House. Matters reached a point where there was a minor scuffle as well in the Lok Sabha. All through this, Amit Shah maintained a stoic silence and an unfazed smile. Tonight, the question, who's accountable for the riots? <laughs> 